What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. Got a really exciting episode for you guys today. I know every single time I come on here, I always say that I'm excited for every single episode, but this is the most excited that I've ever been for a show for the whole entire summer. And the reason why this episode was so late was due to the fact that it took me two hours to decide what I wanted to talk about on today's episode. And then there was some more breaking news that came out that we also included on today's episode. So we're going to be discussing the Denzel Mims trade. Can the Detroit Lions unlock his potential? Is the Atlanta Falcons run game enough to carry them to the postseason? Why Jaguar fans should be excited about the addition of Calvin Ridley going into this year? Justin Fields made some really bold statements on a podcast platform, and the statements were really interesting to say the least. So we're going to get into his claims. Lane Kiffin also had a lot of things to say during SEC Media Day. He took shots at the NIL and transfer portal, says that it's not good for college football. It's hurting the sport. We're going to dive into his comments. And we're going to be talking about two college teams in Texas. Texas A&M, what if Bobby Petrino can fix their offense? And how good is the offense for the Texas Longhorns going to be this upcoming college football season? We got a really exciting episode this afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure that you hit that like button. Subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast. This podcast isn't just available on YouTube. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. Leave us with a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode. All you got to do is go to Apple, Spotify, type in the JT Sports Podcast, and it will pop up. Give us a five-star review. Or you can go down to the description down below, scroll down a little bit, and there will be the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. If you like the JT Sports Podcast and you want to support us, the best way to do so is by giving us a five-star review. It only takes 30 seconds to do, and plus, it's free. Late last night, when I was dozing off to sleep, The New York Jets traded away former second-round pick Denzel Mims to the Detroit Lions. Now, at this moment, this trade is unofficial. But if Denzel Mims makes the Detroit Lions roster, the New York Jets are going to be compensated a six-round pick in return, and this trade holds through as valid. But if Denzel Mims doesn't make the Lions roster, then this trade pretty much would be considered non-existent because it won't go through. So the agreement in this trade is that the Jets are going to give the Lions Denzel Mims in a 2025 conditional seven-round pick. And if Denzel Mims makes the roster, the Jets are going to be receiving a six-round pick for the 2025 NFL Draft. Now, I don't really care too much about the trade compensation 
I more so am worried about if Denzel Mims is going to be able to make the Detroit Lions roster. And if he makes the roster, can the Lions unlock his potential? Now, if you don't remember about all the hype that Denzel Mims had coming out of the 2020 NFL Draft, let me give you guys a little bit of a flashback. So let's rewind the clock to the year 2020. Now, coming out of Baylor, Denzel Mims was one of those wide receivers that was getting a lot of hype because of him running a 4-3-8 at the NFL Combine at 6'3", 207 pounds, and he had a really good career at the University of Baylor. And going into the league, most people thought that he was one of those high upside players that has all the athleticism in the world and all the physical attributes that you look for and the potential high-level wide receiver. He was really good catching 50-50 balls, explosive, athletic, had a really large catch radius. But the problem with Denzel Mims, like most wide receivers that have this kind of prototype, 6'3", 200 plus pounds, and runs a 4'3", something in a 40-yard dash, he wasn't the most polished wideout in terms of what you need to have to be successful at this division. You got to be able to separate, and to have the ability to separate, you got to be a good route runner. Neither one of those things Denzel Mims excels at, and now he's with the Detroit Lions. Now, you may be asking, JT, why didn't it work out for him with the New York Jets? Well, the first half of his rookie season was pretty good. And then the second half, and then the remainder of his time with the New York Jets was pretty much forgettable. And Denzel Mims, pretty much just the same player right now that he was coming out of Baylor. He hasn't really developed all that much. He hasn't really improved. And going to the Detroit Lions, hopefully, can give him the fresh start that his career needs. Now, you can't say that quarterback was the reason why Denzel Mims got held back. You got to remember that this is the same guy who played with Garrett Wilson last year. And Garrett Wilson was the best rookie wide receiver in the league with Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, and whoever else was throwing him the football last year in the Big Apple. If Garrett Wilson can be the best rookie wideout in the league and can go for over a thousand yards in year one, why couldn't Denzel Mims be able to have anything similar to Garrett Wilson's success throughout his NFL career up to this point? The Detroit Lions, you look at their receiving core right now, you don't really think that Denzel Mims is going to crack the starting lineup and he most likely won't. And Lions fans are looking at this as a high-risk, well, low-risk, high-reward kind of move. Even though Denzel Mims, they don't need him to be good, he's a good developmental project to work on that has a lot of upside and the potential, if you're able to dig in and unlock it, he could end up being a really good wide receiver. But you see, that's the problem with potential. Potential is what you hope somebody can be or the expectations that you have for somebody the problem with potential is that potential is something that 
You don't know if it's going to come to fruition. And even then, you don't even know how high somebody's potential is. And then what happens when somebody doesn't reach their potential? How good are they? What's their floor? You look at Denzel Mims, his floor is a backup quality wideout at best. And going to the Detroit Lions, he's playing with the best quarterback that he's ever played with throughout his career, and Jared Goff. You got a really good offensive coordinator that's really innovative, does a great job utilizing his personnel. And really, all you're really looking at Denzel Mims being able to do to get onto the roster is beating out guys like Trinity Benson. Maybe he can end up being a wide receiver five or six to start the season out. And then he gets a couple of opportunities until Jamison Williams comes back and the Lions can see what he can do. And the Lions are a team that if you're asking, what do they need Denzel Mims for? I mean, it's an experimental project. See the upside. See what you can get out of him. And if he ends up panning out well, then you could end up with a very good wide receiver. But if he doesn't end up panning out, you can get rid of him before the season starts and you don't give up anything in return. I don't think this move is going to play out like how a lot of optimistic Lions fans hope it will. You remember when... The Las Vegas Raiders, around the same time last offseason, traded away Brian Edwards to the Atlanta Falcons. You remember all the optimism that Brian Edwards had going into training camp for the Falcons? What did he do last season in Atlanta? Absolutely nothing. And you look at Denzel Mims, right? The fact that, yeah, he does have a lot of potential, he hasn't been able to get on the field. And why hasn't he been able to get on the field? Because he just really isn't that good. People are banking on that potential panning out. But most of the times, when you have a receiver at this point in his career, you kind of already know what he has. And he hasn't really shown any flashes of that potential since his rookie season years ago. Most of the time, trades like this, where you have a guy who was drafted with high upside, high potential coming out, but hasn't reached that potential, they don't pan out. Unless they've shown a little bit of some flashes. And Denzel Mims hasn't really shown that over his last couple of seasons with the New York Jets to show us that there's any reason why there's a chance that he will end up just putting it all together with the Detroit Lions. Two of the most important things that you gotta have if you're a receiver is at least decent route running. You don't got to be the greatest route runner, but you at least have to be decent at it because it allows you to create better separation. And nearly every time you was watching the Denzel Mims highlight over the last couple of years, nearly every pass that was thrown to him was a 50-50 ball. So at best right now, if the Lions can unlock Denzel Mims' potential, I think you get a better version maybe of what Devontae Parker is with the New England Patriots. But right now, you have a guy that really isn't that good, has to prove himself, isn't even guaranteed a roster spot, and some Lions fans out here are making it seem like they just came away the winners of getting the next Calvin Johnson. 
Most of the time, trades like this that involve players like Denzel Mims that have a lot of potential that haven't panned out, they don't end up paying off. Not saying all of them don't, but most of them do not. Good example, Brian Edwards last season. So can the Lions unlock Denzel Mims' potential? I'm strongly doubting it. If I had to give you guys a confidence level, one through five, of how I feel about Denzel Mims being able to get his career going with the Detroit Lions, I probably would give him a two. And me giving him a two is me being slightly more optimistic simply due to the issue that there is an opportunity that he is going to get some legitimate reps during the preseason. Their starters are pretty much locked in. Marvin Jones, Amar Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds. So Denzel Mims... He's pretty much coming in trying to fight to be the wide receiver four, five, or six on this team. And even if he makes this roster, he could be a guy who just ends up being good death for the Detroit Lions. We don't know if this dude is really going to get a lot of opportunities. You mean to tell me that this is somebody who's going to have a big impact on the Lions season, getting traded before training camp, having to learn a new system? Even if he does make the roster, it's still going to take him at least the first half of the season to get somewhat comfortable in this system. So I don't really think that Denzel Mims is going to turn into anything special for the Detroit Lions. At best, I think he makes the roster as their fifth best wide receiver. Hopefully he could end up working his way up the death chart. And we're wishing Denzel Mims the best over here, but I don't really think the Lions are really getting lightning in a bottle or getting a steal with getting Denzel Mims, a guy who the New York Jets were about to release until they were able to find a trade partner and the Detroit Lions. Shout out to our guy, Afrophysicist underscore 314 with the $5 donation. We greatly appreciate it. The Atlanta Falcons last season were second in the NFL in rushing yards per game. And with them drafting B. John Robinson, this possibly could be the best rushing attack in the NFL this upcoming season. And with the Atlanta Falcons, with how good their offensive line is going to be, the talent that they got at the running back position, and how good the rushing attack is expected to be in 2023, can the ground game carry the Atlanta Falcons to the playoffs this season? Now, when you look at the Falcons' schedule, right, they don't really play too many teams that had great run defenses last season. As a matter of fact, the three teams on their schedule this year that had good run defenses were the Tennessee Titans, who were the best in the NFL at stopping the run last year, and the Washington Commanders and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were on the outside looking in of top 10 teams against the run. And you're in a division where... The three other teams that you played twice this year, their run defenses aren't really all that great going into this year. And for the Atlanta Falcons, you have Desmond Ritter at QB. You do have some skepticism about him going into this year. Is he good enough to lead the Falcons to the play to the postseason? Now, really, 
all Desmond Ritter needs to do is be a great game manager and take care of the football. And the Falcons should be in the playoff conversation because this run game is deadly. And although this is a passing league, you do need to have a solid passing attack to win the Super Bowl. You don't need to have a great passing game to make it to the postseason. As a matter of fact, I think that the Atlanta Falcons have a really good and concrete formula when it comes to what they need to do this season to make it to the playoffs. And that's run the damn football until you can't run it no more. B. John Robinson is one of the best running backs to come out of the NFL draft since Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott. He's going to be one of those running backs that year one right out the gate. He should have a really big impact. And he probably should be top 10 at his position by the end of this season. You also have Tyler Algier, who was really good during his rookie season last year for Atlanta, and you still do have old man Cordell Patterson back there. So there is plenty of talent in this running back room for the Atlanta Falcons. And with this running game being highly effective, it should allow them to take a lot of time off the clock, have long drawn out possessions that tire out the opposing team's defense and keeps their defense off the field which is something that the Atlanta Falcons didn't really have good play out of last year now their defense they spent a lot of money in free agency to improve that side of the football they got a couple of drive picks that I like on that side as well with this run game if it ends up being fantastic this year like it was last year their defense should improve not just because of the acquisitions that they made but the fact that they're going to have more time to sit and rest on the sidelines to recover. And the schedule that they have, as I mentioned earlier, isn't full of teams that are going to have great defenses. They're not full of teams that have historically great run defenses outside of the Tennessee Titans. Now, of course, a lot of those teams probably could turn it around this year, but judging from what those teams currently have on their roster at the moment, I don't really think the Atlanta Falcons rushing attack is going to be going up against too many stout run defenses, especially in the AFC South. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we don't know how great their run defense is going to be. Their run defense isn't going to be bad, but it's not going to be good enough to be able to shut down the Atlanta Falcons rushing attack. Same thing with the Carolina Panthers and the New Orleans Saints. Now you can say, well, JT, if the Falcons run the football at a really high level, All teams are going to do is go all in to stop the run and force Desmond Ritter to throw the football. And even though you do have a point with that, you got to remember, the best teams that are elite running the football can run the football when their opponents know that they want to run the football. That shows how dominant you are when it comes to your rushing attack, when The other team knows you're going to run the football and you can still rip off five, six yards per carry. That just shows dominance. And the Atlanta Falcons run game, if it ends up being as dominant as what it was last year with better quarterback play and better play from the defense, this is a team that could be in the conversation to get one of the last spots in the postseason in the NFC Conference. The 7th seed, the 6th seed, teams like Atlanta, I think, are normally in that kind of category. 6th, 7th seed, barely make it into the postseason, but 
They normally are teams that are really good running the football and don't have spectacular quarterback play. And I think that's what the Atlanta Falcons are going to be this year. And even if the Atlanta Falcons have some games where they struggle running the football, as long as Desmond Ritter can give you slightly above average quarterback play, you should be able to win those games that you got to go ahead and win behind the armor Desmond Ritter because you do have two talented players for him to throw the football to, Kyle Pitts and second-year wideout Drake London. So Desmond Ritter, he doesn't need to do a whole lot for the Atlanta Falcons to make the postseason this year because the way their schedule looks, they're not playing a lot of teams that are going to be great against the run defense, uh, well, great against the run this year. So they're going to be able to run the football, control the clock, and they're going to be able to play to their strength. Now, if they end up being put in situations where they got to come back from behind, I don't think that's going to vote well for them because anytime you have a team that's identity is running the football, a good way to stop the run other than doing it physically on the field is by being able to get them down multiple possessions. The Atlanta Falcons go down three, four touchdowns. The game pretty much is over. Desmond Ritter has to make sure that he takes care of the football because he isn't the kind of quarterback early into his career that's going to be good enough to overcome mistakes late in the game. That's the problem with what the Atlanta Falcons dealt with last year with Marcus Mariota at QB. He was too reckless and couldn't take care of the football in late game situation. The Atlanta Falcons, this run game is going to be great. And they most definitely should be able to at least be a 7th or 6th seed in the NFC postseason this year as long as Desmond Ritter can give them serviceable quarterback play. The thing with the Atlanta Falcons is that this run game is going to be really hard to stop with how good this offensive line is and how good their running backs are. And Arthur Smith has really good schemes when it comes to cooking things up in the run department. So can the Atlanta Falcons run game carry them to the postseason? It most definitely can. As long as Desmond Ritter is taking care of the football, he's been a good game manager. I think that this team has the formula to be a six or seven seed in the NFC come playoff time. When the Jacksonville Jaguars traded for Calvin Ridley, at the trade deadline last season, I was really excited. And I'm not even a Jaguars fan. I just live in the city. Jaguar fans should be really hyped about what Calvin Ridley can do with Trevor Lawrence this season. And if you're not already super excited about Calvin Ridley, you should be after you get done watching this segment. Because we seem to forget how good Calvin Ridley actually was before he got traded to Jacksonville, and even before he got hit with that one-year suspension for gambling. His best season, 2020, he caught 90 passes for 1,374 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. He was in ascension mode. He was on his way to becoming one of the best receivers in the game. And Devontae Adams, on a recent episode of I Am Athlete that I watched not too long ago, he said that Calvin Ridley is a top five wide receiver in his book. Really good route runner, great at creating separation. He also can do damage after the catch. And you look at the fact that he's going to be getting a young Trevor Lawrence, 
who right now is in ascension mode, Calvin Ridley, if you don't already have him on your fantasy football squads, you need to go ahead and trade for him or draft him whenever you draft another team because Calvin Ridley could potentially be one of the best receivers in the NFL this year from a production standpoint. If we're going off straight by production, I think that Calvin Ridley could put up top five, top 10 wide receiver numbers. And once again, I have to reiterate production standpoint. Based off peer production, I think that Calvin Ridley is going to have a lot of great numbers. You already have some other good weapons in the passing game that are going to take some attention off Calvin Ridley, such as Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram. You're also going to have Travis Etienne in the backfield. So if teams are going to go ahead and double team Calvin Ridley or key in on him, they're going to make things a lot easier for Evan Ingram and Christian Kirk. And when guys are trying to key in on Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, what are they going, what are they going to do about Calvin Ridley? And then you got Trevor Lawrence, who is the best quarterback that Calvin Ridley has played with up to this point. No disrespect to Matt Ryan, but the Matt Ryan that Calvin Ridley was playing with in Atlanta is nowhere close to how good Trevor Lawrence is going to be this season. Trevor Lawrence could pretty much be a top three quarterback this season. And Calvin Ridley is going to be one of the catalysts for him making that next jump in his career. If Trevor Lawrence ends up being in an MVP discussion, it's going to be due to the help of Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley was a great trade by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And at the time that they made the trade last season at the trade deadline, there were people who were a little bit turned off by it because they say, yeah, like you have somebody who's going to help you next season, but what about this season? Listen, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're visionaries, at least in that trade they were, because they already knew that with the way the season was playing out, they probably weren't going to be Super Bowl contenders. They probably knew they were going to have a shot at making it to the postseason, but they weren't expecting to make a deep playoff run. So they were building and looking towards the future. And they go ahead, get Calvin Ridley and a trade that I feel Jacksonville won. They didn't really have to give up too much for him. And you're not going to have to top out big. You're not going to have to give out big dollars to keep Calvin Ridley around long term. He's not going to be demanding Justin Jefferson kind of money. So I think that Calvin Ridley is going to be extremely good for the Jaguars. And I probably think that he's going to be even better than what most Jaguar fans think he is. I think that Calvin Ridley this season is going to put up 1,200 yards, eight to nine touchdowns, and he's probably going to have around 100 to maybe 110 receptions this year. Trevor Lawrence already had a really good supporting cast around him before they got Calvin Ridley, and all they did was make this wide receiving core even deadlier by getting Calvin Ridley. I mean, they had Mount Marvin Jones last season, who was pretty productive at times. But you get Calvin Ridley, that's an upgrade, a massive upgrade. Let's not forget that Calvin Ridley was one of the best up-and-coming wide receivers prior to that one-year suspension that he received and prior to his final year in Atlanta in 2021 when he played a couple of games. I love Calvin Ridley. I'm a huge fan of Calvin Ridley. And if you're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, you should be extremely excited about what Calvin Ridley 
is going to bring to this offense. I think with Calvin Ridley, Travis Etienne, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, and Trevor Lawrence, and Doug Peterson, the Jags should at least have a top 10 offense or better this season. The offensive line is shaky, but when you look at the talent that they have given Trevor Lawrence, they've done a great job supporting him. This is the definition of building around your franchise quarterback. Wide receivers are becoming more impactful than ever in the NFL in the year 2023. So you got to make sure that you have a bunch of them for your young quarterback to throw the football to. And Calvin Ridley this year, playing well for the Jacksonville Jaguars, probably means that Trevor Lawrence has a great season. And it probably also makes things a little bit easier for Evan Ingram and Christian Kirk in terms of them being able to get open because who are you going to game plan for? Who are you going to double team? You're not going to double team anybody because if you do, somebody's going to be open. Really, really great time if you're a Jaguars fan to be one. I'm not a Jaguars fan, but I just somewhat support the Jags because I'm from the city of Duval. So I always got to show some love and support to the Jags. I'm really excited about Calvin Ridley and Jaguar fans. You should be too. If you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, leave a like and subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure that you give us a five-star review if you are enjoying this episode of the podcast so far. If you're listening on YouTube live, make sure that you type in the JT Sports Podcast on whichever podcasting platform that you use. Give us a five-star review or you can go down to the description, comment section down below, and there will be the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. You can follow us on Instagram at JTSports underscore and on Twitter at JTSports underscore underscore. Hit us up in the DMs. If you have a question that you would like answered on a potential episode of the podcast, you can go ahead and send them in the DMs on Twitter, Instagram. I, I read most of my DMs, even though I haven't really been active on social media over the last couple of days, but I will start getting more active on it a little bit later once I get done recording this episode. So go ahead, follow us on all of our social media platforms, Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. And I almost forget threads. Follow us on threads, people. We are on threads at JT Sports underscore as well. Justin Fields has some really bold claims that he made on the podcast called All Things Covered. Now, All Things Covered, they went up to Justin Fields and they asked him to name his top five running quarterbacks of all time. And they also gave him the permission to include himself in the list. And of course, Justin Fields is going to say, oh, I can include myself. You're damn right. I'm finna consider myself a top five running quarterback of all time. So who was on his list, JT? He started out with Michael Vick. You can never go wrong with the GOAT, Mike Vick. Mike Vick is one of the greatest rushing quarterbacks of all time. Nobody's debating that. You got Cam Newton. 
Can't go wrong with Cam Newton being on the list. Then you got Lamar, a.k.a. Lamarvelous. All right, Justin, you cooking. And then he names himself. Okay. And then you got Steve Young. Now, in terms of Justin Fields being a top five running quarterback of all time, I think it's way too early to give him that label. Now, I'm not going to get mad at him for including himself in this list because I probably would include myself in the list too if I was him, even if I wasn't all that great, even if I didn't deserve to be. But when you're talking about some of the most athletically gifted quarterbacks to ever enter this league, Justin Fields is definitely in that conversation. The dude is built like a running back. He has great vision, great strength, great balance. Hell, if he didn't want to play quarterback and he wanted to move the running back, he would be one of the best running backs in the NFL. This dude has a great skill set when it comes to running the football. Vision, balance, also very good after contact. Justin Fields, definitely, I think, if he can keep his career going for the next three to five years, I think he's going to be a top five running quarterback of all time. Now, for him to put himself in this list, I can't really get mad at him because, once again, this is his opinion. So if he feels he's a top five running quarterback of all time, you can't really say too much about it. I mean, you can disagree with it, but it is his opinion. And I do think that he is really athletic. He is a fantastic runner of the football. You saw what he did last season for the Chicago Bears. And he also didn't stop there. He made another bold claim. He was asked if he would be the first Bears quarterback this season to throw for 4,000 yards in the season. The Chicago Bears all-time um, record for passing yards in the season was set by Eric Kramer in 1995. He threw for 3,838 passing yards that season. All Justin Fields needs to do is throw more than thir- what 3,900 yards, and the record is his. And he very well can get to 4K yards this season. I think that Justin Fields is going to take tremendous strides in development this season when it comes to his ability to throw the football. And last year, you got to remember that he didn't have a good receiving core. His number one wide receiver was Darnell Mooney for the most of the season, which he ended up getting injured late last year. You got Chase Claypool, who wasn't really good last season. And then he was throwing the guys such as Equinamius St. Brown, Dante Pettis. Now you give Justin Hemothy Fields a legitimate number one wide receiver and DJ Moore and a healthy Darnell Mooney coming back as his number two option. Watch Justin Cook this year, people. For those of y'all laughing at Justin Fields, saying that he's going to break the Chicago Bears all-time record for passing yards in the season, you better watch out. Because I'm taking names and I'm taking a lot of screenshots for all you people on Twitter who are saying that Justin Fields is crazy. He's tripping. He needs to stay off the weed. Because Justin Fields is about to put the league on notice this season. This may look like a bold statement to a lot of people, but I think that this is a pretty realistic statement. And the last time there was a Bears quarterback that came close to breaking the Eric Kramer passing yards in the season franchise record was Jake Cutler. 
So Justin Fields, if he can stay healthy for the whole entire season, the offensive line improves, he should be able to accomplish the goal of breaking the Chicago Bears single season passing yards record, which was set by Eric Kramer decades ago. And I'm a big believer in Justin Fields. I think that he's gotten better every single season. Luke Getze did a really good job at tailoring this offense around the personnel that the Chicago Bears had last season. And with a improved receiving core, trading for DJ Moore, having the fact that Darnell Moody's coming back, I think Justin Fields is going to break the Bears' single season record for passing yards in a year. <coughs> My bad, y'all gotta get another sip of water. Now, how are you guys feeling about Justin Fields' bold claims? Do you guys think that Justin Fields is a little bit crazy for saying that he's gonna throw for 4K? Because I don't think he is. I think that there is a great chance that Justin Fields can break the Bears' all-time single-season passing yards record. Everything he has around them, he has a pretty solid coaching staff. I wouldn't be surprised if he does end up ending next year or next season with the record. And he probably needs to do it because if he ends up breaking their record for most passing yards in the season, it probably will show that he's taking steps as a passer. He has improved his ability to throw the football. And if he ends up throwing for 4K yards, I think that pretty much tells us the answer to the question that a lot of us been asking. Is Justin Fields the guy at quarterback for the Chicago Bears? And if he does that, they also probably are a playoff team. Now, Lane Kiffin had some really spicy things to say at SEC Media Day about the current state of college football with the transfer portal and the NIL being around now. So Lane Kiffin, he started his opening statements at SEC Media Day saying that it's a phenomenal thing that players are allowed to get paid. He doesn't have anything wrong with players getting compensated. Where Lane Kiffin has a problem with is how the NIL thing is being used to pretty much buy players from the portal, which pretty much has made the transfer portal college football's equivalent to NFL for agency. And Lane Kiffin said that the NIL, name, image, and likeness, has pretty much created a pay-for-play system. That, of course, him and Ole Miss are going to take advantage of because it's legal and it's within the rules to do so. But he feels like this has led college football to becoming more like professional sports where players end up becoming free agents and they have the right to sign with any team they want to. And the fact that you look at these recruits coming out of high school, the fact that they're being offered a lot of money to play college football for certain colleges for a set amount of money that ends up being a lot of dollars. You end up having a lot of issues that comes along with that. You remember the whole Jalen Rashada incident at Florida? I think this is a prime situation that 
Lane Kiffin is a little bit alluding to when it comes to the issues that comes with allowing players to get paid for their name, image, and likeness and allowing them to have more mobility. He also said that the difference between, you know, their version of free agency versus the professional model is that professionals have contracts. You just can't up and leave a team just because you want to if you're still under contract. And college football, however, as long as you can transfer within the set dates of the transfer portal cycle, you can transfer to as many schools as you want to. I know somebody who I went to school with, who I played ball with, who's transferred to literally four different schools and over the last five to six years. How the hell can you transfer to five, six schools? I don't even know how that's permitted. And the thing with the NCAA is that they don't step in and take control of these time, these types of situations. They allow these situations to magnify and get worse and worse and worse until the situation gets so bad where they have no choice but to step in. So when you look at Lane Kiffin's comments, I definitely understand his frustrations. And you can't make it seem like, oh, he's just mad because... He can't use the transfer portal and NIL as well as these other schools because Ole Miss has been really active in the transfer portal over the last two years. Hell, they got Jackson's dart out of the transfer portal from USC last year. So I don't think that Lane Kiffin has any grievances about the utilization of the transfer portal. Really, it's with the fact that you're trying to incentivize players the transfer to said school by using NIL as a persuasion tactic. And it never was intended to be that way. It was never intended to be used that way. Now, even though Lane Kiffin doesn't have any problem with, you know, players utilizing the transfer portal and transferring, he doesn't like the fact that coaches are using the portal to overhaul their rosters and big numbers, i.e. Deion Sanders, i.e. Kenny Dillingham with Arizona State. When you think about what the transfer portal was intended for, it was to allow players to find other opportunities if it wasn't working out. But it seems like all these players do is just hip-hop to different schools every single chance the new transfer portal period opens up. And he also said that the current state of college football is a disaster. When you look at what's been going on with name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal, it's made college football a little bit like professional football, pretty much. And he even alluded to something that Josh Paid and a couple of other prominent college football talking heads have been saying about where the direction this sport can go to these High school athletes, when they end up going to college, they don't end up getting scholarships anymore because they end up being viewed and treated as legitimate employees for said university that they commit to. So you don't give them a free education anymore because you now make them employees. And by making them employees, you basically make this more of a semi-professional league pretty much. And that's something that Lane Kiffin kind of alluded to. And that's kind of how he feels the direction that, that this sport 
probably is going to head. Now, I wouldn't like college football or college athletics in general to go in that direction. I do think that going to college, getting a free education definitely is priceless. It's something that you definitely can't put a price tag on. But if you're treating these college athletes like employees and they're signing contracts and they're getting salaries, then it's no need to cover their education anymore because look at what they're getting paid. They're employees now. They can pay for their own schooling. They can pay for their housing, their tuition, and anything else that gets covered with an athletic scholarship. College football, when I look at the transfer portal, I'm not one of those people that get mad over it. I'm not one of those people that if you see one of my favorite players from one of my favorite schools transferring out saying, oh, these players are weak. They just running from competition. They looking for the easy way out. Like, I don't really care who transfers, who doesn't transfer out. Like at the end of the day, to me, college football is still college football. When the final whistle gets blowed, that's when college football ends up being what it is off the field but on the field for 60 minutes that they're trying to knock each other out and trying to talk each other to the ground it's still college football you're still going to have the same mascots you're still going to have the same fans the game is still going to be played the same way so I'm not really too upset about you know the current state of the transfer portal and NIL and how it has impacted the sport but it has made it way more difficult to cover and keep up with college football. It's like, you got to make sure you do your research before you talk about any team in college football because you got to know who's on their roster. Because some of the guys that you may have thought was on the roster last week might be playing for a different team next week. So when you think about the Sam Hartman situation, I don't like how that went. I don't like how there were a lot of reports before Wake Forest bowl game that Sam Hartman was already thinking about leaving the program. And these reports came out before Wake Forest bowl game with Sam Hartman, where it was already reported that he was transferring to Notre Dame. Now, I was looking at those reports, hoping that it wasn't true, thinking that this was just a bunch of rumors and speculation on Twitter and that nothing was going to become of it. But then, right after the bowl game, a couple hours later, Sam Hartman is in the transfer portal or a couple of days later, whenever he entered the portal, it didn't take too long for him to end up at Notre Dame after these rumors came up. So I didn't really like that. I don't like what allegedly happened with Jordan Addison, pretty much USC tampering, getting him to leave Pitt to join Kayla Williams at USC. The thing that I have with the transfer portal is that I don't think that other schools should be contacting players that are members of other teams trying to recruit them to enter the portal just so they can join their team and incentivizing them to transfer using NIL. I think that that's not really what that should be used for. It shouldn't be used as a mechanism to steal other players or try to incentivize other players to lead their current situations because you're kind of putting kids in a little bit of a bad position because imagine if you end up taking a player off the University of Wisconsin and you tell him to come transfer to Nebraska and that you're going to have a good NIL package waiting for him and then he transfers, he ups and leaves um, Wisconsin, he goes to Nebraska and then he isn't good. 
and then he isn't getting any playing time. And the reason why you got him in the first place to leave his previous school is because you promised them not just a good NIL bag, but you're also giving him another opportunity. And yet he takes the money, but yet isn't really getting the same amount of playing time that he was at his previous school. Then that kid is in a situation where after that NIL deal deal runs out, he has to enter the portal again and transfer to another situation. And that potentially could be the end of his career because a lot of these guys who enter the transfer portal, the harsh reality is that most of them do not get picked up. I know a handful of guys from the city of Jacksonville that entered the transfer portal and they haven't been heard from again. The transfer portal is a really dangerous game, not just from what these schools are doing, using NIL to entice players to leave their their current program to join theirs, or using NIL and high school recruiting. Like We've seen some really ugly high school recruiting stories that have involved NIL, and I'm going to go back to the Jalen Rashada incident once again, because I think it's one of the prime examples that Lane Kiffin was talking about of why he has the feelings towards the name, image, and likeness and transfer portal that he currently has because of situations similar to what happened with the Gators and Jalen Rashada. So when you have this whole NIL transfer portal argument, It doesn't seem like coaches are against players having mobility and, you know, schools having the ability to pay players and players having the ability to get compensated. But it's the fact that you don't have anybody overlooking this thing. You don't have any limitations on how often you can use the transfer portal or how much money you can pay a player. There's nobody overseeing college football to make sure that everything plays out well. Everything functions correctly. It's just all chaos out there with the NIL deals and transfer portal movement. There's a player that just entered the transfer portal right now. Literally just got a notification on my phone. Somebody has just entered the transfer portal again. The transfer portal needs some limitations. There needs to be some checks and balances to name, image, and likeness in the transfer portal for us to have a better functioning offseason when it comes to college football. You see, the offseason in college football is pretty much in chaos right now when it comes to coaches and teams because you don't know who's going to stay on your team, who's going to transfer out because if one guy transfers out or you have a mass exodus of players that transfer out, you got to go ahead and hit that portal to get some of those roster spaces filled up to make sure that you still have depth enough or enough depth to fill the team come this season. So you look at Lane Kiffin's statements criticizing NIL and the transfer portal and how he feels it currently has made college football a disaster. I agree with him. I mean, I don't have the same frustrations that Lane Kiffin has with the portal and NIL verbatim. My problem just is that I think that players should have the mobility to move around, but they shouldn't have the freedom to just every time they don't win a starting job, Oops, I'm in the portal again. This one player, I forgot where he was last at. I can't remember his name. I think his name 
is Storm Duck or something like that. I think he now plays for Penn State. But the last time I recalled, I thought he was playing for UNC. I thought he was still playing for North Carolina. And now he's with Penn State. So the transfer portal, I have some pros, but I also have a lot of cons when it comes to the transfer portal process. Yes, I love the fact that players have mobility. They have the freedom to go to another situation and they feel like the current one that they're in is not working out for them. If they get homesick like A.D. Mitchell, I can understand that. But if you're going into year five and you played on five different teams every single year that you've been in college, there is a problem. You're breaking the system. The transfer portal was not intended to be used this way. They, there are players like JT Daniels who've played for three different schools. USC, Georgia, West Virginia, and now going into this season, he's on his fourth school. He's playing for Rice. Rice. We got to do something about the transfer portal. We have to do something about NIL. Now, give it, not every team is opening the checkbook to get every single recruit that they want. And I don't think that every recruit that commits to said school is doing it for NIL reasons. There are still players out there that I talk to that still commit to schools because they love the schools and not just for the money. So you guys let me know your thoughts on this Lane Kiffin NIL transfer portal issue that he has. What are your thoughts on the current state of college football when it comes to how NIL and the transfer portal are impacting the current state of the sport today? How good... Is the Texas offense going to be this season? Texas has one of the most talented offenses going into the upcoming 2023 college football season, man. They got Quinn Ewers going into year two with the program. He was really inconsistent last year. He had some great games, some great moments like the moments that he had against Alabama and I still stand by this statement. If Quinn Ewers never got injured against Alabama, Texas would have pulled off the upset. How good is he going to be this season, though? How improved is Quinn Ewers going to be? Now, I think that Quinn Ewers is going to play at a Heisman caliber level this season. And outside of Caleb Williams, he's probably the guy that I would put my money on to win the Heisman Trophy this season. Now, why do I have so much confidence in Quinn Ewers? Well... Look at the supporting cast that he has around him. You have one of the best receiving cores in college football. You got A.D. Mitchell from the transfer portal. You have Isaiah Nayer, who you got in the transfer portal last year out of Wyoming. Some of you guys might have forgot about Isaiah Nayer, but prior to him going down that injury last offseason, he was making a lot of noise for the Longhorns during spring camp. And then you're going to have him coming back fully healthy with one of the best receivers in college football and Xavier Worthy. You got Jordan Whittington. I mean, there's just talent on talent on talent on talent for Quinn Ewers to throw the football to. And then you're going to have a more experienced and a better offensive line. Texas had a really young offensive line last season. They were starting a couple of freshmen on the offensive line. Guys like left tackle Kelvin Banks. Guard Cole Hudson were two of the best freshman offensive linemen in America 
They're studs. They're going to be even better this season. This whole entire offensive line should improve. And Texas has done a really good job at recruiting the offensive line position. So that's a really big strength for the Longhorns offense going into this year. You're going to have a great offensive line to protect Quinn Ewers. And you're going to give him a great group of receivers to throw the football to. Texas offense is going to be one of the most deadliest offenses in college football this year. I think that this is going to be a top 10, maybe potentially top 5 offense this year. You look at all this talent that they have on the offensive line and that wide receiver, even if you're a Texas hater or if you're a fan of one of their rivals like Oklahoma, you got to give props where it's due. Texas has a really talented offense. Tell me I'm lying. Tell me that you look at Texas roster and you say, man, JT, I'm not impressed. And then even if you say, okay, JT, they got a good team, but that doesn't mean it's going to work out. I don't trust Steve Sarkeesian. Like, Steve Sarkeesian is one of the best offensive minds in college football right now. You saw what he did with Mac Jones and Devontae Smith his final season at Alabama. Everywhere Steve Sarkeesian has been, his offenses have been really productive. And I think that he's also incredibly well, well-rounded when it comes to not only being able to, to get the most out of his quarterbacks, but also being able to be fantastic with getting his best receivers to football. So you look at a guy like Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Isaiah Nayer. These are guys who could be arguably the best receivers on a handful of teams in the Power Five. And the fact that they have like three number one wide receivers on one team shows you how much talent the Longhorns have on offense. Whoa, who's going to be replacing Roshan Johnson and B. John Robinson, JT? Texas run game is going to take a step of regression this year. I don't think this offense is going to regress this year from a run game standpoint. They still have a lot of talent in that running back room. Now, they may not have a B. John Robinson, but they do have a Jonathan Brooks, who was averaging six yards per carry last season on 30 attempts. They do have a Jaden Blue, who was the sixth best running back coming out of the 2022 recruiting cycle. So there is plenty of talent that should be able to step up at running back and fill the shoes of B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson heading for the NFL. With Quinn Ewers at quarterback, throwing to the best receiving core in the Big 12, Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Jordan Winnington, Isaiah Nayer having a really good offensive line and the intelligent offensive mind is Steve Sharkeesian. This should be one of the best offenses in college football this year. There's no way you can't tell me that you don't think that Texas offense is going to be elite this year unless you're a hater. And if you're a hater, you need to put that hater rate down, man. You need to put the hater rate down, look at Texas roster, watch their spring game, and then come back and tell me, JT, Texas has one of the most talented offenses in college football because they do. It shouldn't be too much of a debate about this. And if you're wondering if Quinn Ewers is going to improve, you got to remember the fact that this was somebody who was regarded as one of the best recruits that ever come out of high school. And the fact that he's with Steve Sharkeesian should give you more reason 
to have confidence in him. Steve Sarkeesian did a really good job at developing Mac Jones. Nobody knew how good Mac Jones was going to be. Most people thought that there was a good possibility that he was going to get beat out for the starting job by Bryce Young, his true freshman season. So Steve Sarkeesian played a big hand in Mac Jones' development. He played a big hand in Devontae Smith having that Heisman caliber season. You got Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Isaiah Nayer at receiver. You got three guys who are good enough to be wide receiver runs on the majority of Power 5 college football rosters out there. And Quinn Ewers, although he struggled last year, I feel like a lot of his struggles were more due to him being a young quarterback. Young quarterbacks are going to have games where they get really antsy with the football and they have a lot of turnovers. They're going to have inconsistencies there. They're going to have some good performances one week and then some head-scratching performances the next week. Quinn Ewers, though, I think that he is going to be able to live up to the hype that he had coming out of high school. He has really great ball placement. I think that he has a really good arm. I want to see him be more consistent with his accuracy and his footwork. He can get really erratic at times. But overall, I'm a big fan and a big believer in what Quinn Ewers can be for Texas this year. I trust Steve Sharkeesian. This is somebody who has a proven track record of being able to have good quarterback play. And I think that Quinn Ewers is going to continue to take steps in the right direction with Steve Sharkeesian being there. And I don't think he's going to struggle. There are people thinking that Arch Manning is going to come in and DC Quinn Ewers. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that there's way too much talent around Quinn Ewers for him not to have a Heisman caliber season. And there's way too much talent for Texas not to have one of college football's best offenses this season. Bobby Petrino was hired by Jimbo Fisher to fix Texas A&M's offense. And one of the biggest storylines going into the upcoming college football season this year is if Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher are going to be able to coexist. So let me throw out a hypothetical scenario for y'all, right? What if Bobby Petrino this season, what if he actually is able to fix Texas A&M's offense. Imagine, Bobby Petrino comes in, he gets Texas A&M's offense playing at a top 15, top 20 level. How good will the Aggies be? How far can they go this season? Because I'm going to be dead honest with y'all. If Texas A&M, their offense plays at a top 10, top 15, top 20 level this year, I think they're going to be able to win the SEC West. And you may call me crazy. You may be saying Stay JT. Off the weed. But I'm dead serious about this. I'm dead serious that if Bobby Petrino fixes Texas A&M's offense, this team, not only can they win the SEC West, but they might be able to make it to the college football playoffs. Think about it. Texas A&M, you already know that they're going to have a good defense. Their defense was really good last year. And you got to remember that their defense was held back by their lack of offense. Oh, how was that, JT? How does the offense impact the defense? Well, I think it's a little bit of common sense. If your offense is going three and out and can't sustain drives, your defense is going to be on the field for way more plays than what they would be if the offense was actually efficient. 
So Bobby Petrino comes in, fixes Texas A&M's offense. That's going to help their defense out because their defense is going to have more time to recollect themselves on the sideline because they're not going to have to come in every 30 seconds after they get a stop because the offense just got done going three and out. So you're going to have elite defense with a great defensive line. You got Shamar, Turner, Walter Nolan. These are two of the most athletic defensive linemen in all of college football. You're going to have a really good secondary. You're going to have Damani Richardson at safety, Tariq Chappelle at cornerback. This is going to be an incredible defense. If this offense figures it out, ooh, I'm trying to tell y'all, man, do not let Bobby Petrino fix Texas A&M's offense. Because they possibly could go undefeated. And I'm not over-exaggerating, people. You guys seem to forget that Texas A&M, over the last couple of their recruiting cycles, has brought in some of their best classes in program history. And most of those guys are still on the roster. They still have one of the top five, top seven best rosters in all of college football. I believe that they were top five last season and 247 Sports Team Talent Composite Rankings, which comprises every team's amount of five and four stars and three stars and pretty much puts them in order from most five and four stars to the least amount and texas a&m was top five And when you look at the teams that make it into the college football playoffs the majority of the times there are teams that have some of the best most talented rosters in college football bobby petrino fixes texas a&m's offense that means that connor wigman has a really great season he potentially could be a Heisman contender. Jimbo Fisher is viewed in a new light. The fact that he was able to give away play calling, put his ego aside to do so, and it worked out, makes him look even better. Texas A&M makes it to the SEC championship game. Potentially, they could make it into the college football playoffs. And then, Bobby Petrino, with him fixing Texas A&M's offense, without a doubt, he's going to win the Broyles Award. There's no way that Bobby Petrino, if he fixes Texas A&M's offense, doesn't win the Broyles Award because everybody will be talking about it. That would make him the best assistant in college football because he will be on the team that most people will be talking about. Let's be honest, when Texas A&M is good, everybody's on their bandwagon. Everybody's talking about them most of the times. Texas A&M is one of those programs that you look at and they draw a lot of attention, a lot of viewership. So, of course, Bobby Petrino fixes the offense. It's going to be similar to how everybody was talking about Joe Brady when he was the passing game coordinator the year that LSU won a national championship and he won the Bros Award. Bobby Petrino, if he fixes Texas A&M's offense this year, I think that Texas A&M is going to win the SEC West. They're going to make it to the SEC championship game, and they potentially could end up making it into the college football playoffs. They have a really talented roster. They're going to have a really good quarterback in Connor Wigman. They have a fantastic group of wide receivers for him to throw the football. And plus, you're going to have an experienced and veteran group of offensive linemen starting for you this season. Bobby Petrino, if he fixes Texas A&M's offense, y'all better look out. Because the Texas A&M Aggies, they may just win it all this season. Talent isn't a question. They got plenty of it. Their question is, will Bobby Petrino be able to fix this offense? 
And if he does, I think they're going to have a very good season. As a matter of fact, they probably will end up having a great season. This would be one of those storybook seasons where Jimbo Fisher finds Bobby Petrino, brings him in as his OC. People question if it's going to work. They prove everybody wrong and it does end up working out. And Texas A&M has one of those seasons that you look back 10 decades from now and you say, damn, like Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher really did that? Yeah. I really have a lot of confidence in Bobby Petrino. And you look at Texas A&M's schedule, with Texas A&M having a legitimate offense, if this happens, tell me one team they have no chance at beating. You mean to tell me with a functional offense, they don't beat Miami on the road? I'm a Hurricanes fan. And even I'll have to give it to Texas A&M. You got Arkansas. With a better offense, you're going to crush Arkansas. And I love the Razorbacks, but with a functioning offense, I think that you probably beat Arkansas by at least two touchdowns. Then you got to play Alabama at home. With the great offense led by Bobby Petrino, you can beat Alabama. You can beat Tennessee on the road. Tennessee didn't even know what defense was last season sometimes. South Carolina, they're like, what is that? Oh, Miss, you play them on the road. With the great offense, you're going to beat them. You're going to beat Mississippi State. You're going to smash Auburn Christian. Now, LSU could go either way. Alabama also could go either way. But with a great offense led by Bobby Petrino, I don't see any reason why you don't end up being able to beat those teams or at least end up having one loss at the end of your schedule going into the SEC championship. So if Bobby Petrino fixes Texas A&M's offense in 2023, this team, I believe, will win the SEC West. I think they'll have the best quarterback in this conference due to Bobby Petrino's ability to get the most out of the quarterback position. We seem to forget that this dude helped develop Lamar Jackson into not just the Heisman Trophy winner, but a first-round pick. He also did the same thing with Arkansas legend Ryan Mallett. Rest in peace. Bobby Petrino, you better hope he doesn't fix Texas A&M's offense because if he does, this team can do a lot of damage this season. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, make sure that you leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Leave a five-star review. We're available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. Rate us five stars. We are trying to get to 100 five-star reviews before the start of the college football and NFL season. So please go ahead and give us a five-star review if you haven't already. And we will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.